Welcome to the Football Business Academy podcast. The FBA is a football business educational company entirely dedicated to the football industry. We run a professional master in football business and a number of certificates across the world. Thank you for being with us today. Now enjoy the episode and let's build the future of football together. Good morning, good afternoon and good evening. Wherever you are tuning in from, welcome to the eighth episode of our free weekly live webinars brought to you by the Football Business Academy in partnership with Soccerx. My name is Christian Dobrev. I'm the Chief Partnerships Officer at the FBA, and I'll be moderating this webinar. Today, in our webinar titled Workforce Transformation in the Age of COVID-19, we'll look at the intersection of human resource management, recruitment, education, and personal branding and our guests will share insights on what has happened over these past two months of global confinement and what will likely happen over the next months so that our viewers and listeners can prepare for the realities of tomorrow and come out stronger. Without further ado, I would like to introduce our guests for today's session. To start, we have Rose Reed, who is the head of people and culture at Brighton and Huff Albion FC, who since the beginning of this year are partners of the FBA. Then given the relevance of her know-how and uh, uh, expertise, we've also invited our very own CMO and higher education expert, Alejandra Otero. And last but not least, we have Charlotte Hamilton, who is the Associate Dean for Community Engagement and Impact at Nova School of Business and Economics, one of the most prestigious schools in Portugal, and indeed, since a month and a half ago, also a partner of the FBA. Welcome to everybody. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Hope everyone is doing fine. Rose, let's start with you. Um, so over the past two months, what has been particularly challenging for you, for you, for your colleagues? Um, you know, how do you do this thing of, you know, putting everyone to remote workly? How do you do your job, uh, not being able to see everyone on a daily basis, right? What, so what are the challenges um, that you, uh, you have encountered? And maybe also what are the challenges that you foresee once the Premier League kicks back into action? Um, well, for me personally, I'm quite a feel person. So I get a lot of my cues from being around people and I'm quite a, I can sense when things aren't right from being around people. So working from home has been quite a big challenge for me. Um, I'm also, I feel like a massive sense of responsibility for the sort of 1,000 staff that we employ across Brighton and Hove Albion and Albion in the community. So I sort of feel that responsibility and I'm acutely aware that all of those people will have a very different experience and a unique experience of lockdown. So there's no one size fits all. And I think it's been a real challenge to make sure we don't categorize or make assumptions about what people's experience has been. Um, I think as a leadership team, um, the challenge has been to keep people engaged um, and try and make sure that everybody sort of feels reached. So whether that's through all staff meetings or through quiz nights, um, the charity have even set up like a virtual pub, um, the Albion Arms, um, to make sure that people feel kind of connected with the club. And again, to make sure that we try and take into consideration their unique experience of, of, of lockdown. Um, and I think, again, without generalizing, I think the biggest, the, the biggest group that's had the biggest challenge, if you like, and again, this doesn't go for all of working parents, but I do feel that working parents seem to have had a particularly difficult or sustained difficult time um, and I think that that experience of having to juggle schooling 
teenagers, babies, toddlers um, has been really real. And despite all of our assurances that, you know, it's absolutely fine if you cannot do a full day's work, because, you know, we totally recognise you've got a lot going on. People are still feeling quite guilty um, and particularly working mums, but also working dads too. Um, so, yeah, so the challenges have been quite um, across quite a, a broad piece, if you like. Yeah. And then for the foreseeable future, once uh, the football games start uh, taking place again, what and, and people are slowly starting to get go back to the office, what are the challenges you, you see there? Yeah, well, I think we're, we're moving from a transition of kind of what we're calling like lockdown anxiety. So there's a lot of impact on mental health and well-being. And we're now that's going to move very quickly to what we're calling sort of transition anxiety, which is a kind of a word we've coined just this morning, actually. Um, and making sure that again just as we have in lockdown making sure that everyone's experience of returning back to I mean we can't call it normal and I don't really like the word new normal but that's what it's going to be and everyone's experience of that that we recognize that again that'll be an individual experience for those people um, so I think as we start to build our plan and we've had our first meeting this morning um, around how to start building that phased plan in line with the government um, easing of, of restrictions um, it's making sure that we have dialogue with staff early doors and we recognize that you know they're all going to have their own concerns and worries um and i think um what else was i going to say and i think yeah the actual transition itself there's so many elements of the transition that are out of our control so we can put in place all sorts of measures around you know phasing people back into the buildings over the next few months possibly over several months but how are they going to get to work and what what factors are going to be of concern to those people and all those factors some of them we can't control so how are we going to manage that so um so yeah there's going to be some some really big big challenges um so yeah we're definitely not going to be bored that's for sure definitely Alejandra in uh in the higher education industry as well, there's been um, obviously an acute need to change pretty much everything, I guess, right? Um, some schools and universities may have been better prepared than others, but overall, like what, what have you been observing? What, what, um, what are the realities of, of the higher education industry right now? Yeah, that's a great question, Christian. I think that uh, none of us were prepared. That's a reality. Um, it has been a huge challenge for schools who have to just go completely online or on a remote uh, working system from one day to the other, or at least try to catch up with a few hours or weeks or even uh, within a certain month. Um, but also for professors, all the faculty members that were not trained to teach online and keep that engagement that is now expected uh, in long sessions on Zoom, for example. Um, there's also the student population, which of course was very much affected. Imagine international students. So some of them actually arrived on campus. They were very excited. Their spring semester was starting and then, sorry, the, uh, the actual student experience as it was initially thought or as a, they had in their expectations is, I mean, they, they need to, to adapt. Um, you can take that as well for every single person. None of us were prepared. All of a sudden, we need to start teaching online, to start as administrators, finding interactive and collaborative ways to make sure that uh, we are there for the students, but at the same time for the employers, because in the end, this is going to be part of the transition that Rose was, was talking about and is 
what's the role of the school? The role of the school is to prepare those talents for the workforce um, of tomorrow, right? So there has been a, a very big impact in that sense. Companies who are also um, pushed to change their actual business plans just to be able to survive throughout a crisis that no one ever thought of. So it, it's, it's it, without any doubt, it, it has been a, a challenge for everyone. Now I do think, and from what I've seen in, in the, the educational uh, environment, that this is, is crucial for education. And I would take it as an opportunity actually to rethink all of this, uh, this um, basic or, or traditional education as it has been until now. And if I may, I would, we're talking about uh, work, but we're also looking about education, right? And if I may just draw a line in each of our uh, lives, we start by education, we then go into the working environment and hopefully we continue through lifelong learning going through actually some trainings throughout our whole career as well. So education has a huge impact no matter what, whether it's to prepare the leaders of tomorrow or to actually um, continue in that growth process throughout the uh, working years. So in that sense, that has been a huge challenge that now uh, education institutions have a, a sort of a bigger compromise to actually train those leaders of tomorrow in new jobs that potentially didn't exist until um, the, the pre-COVID situation. And I have seen a, a sort of a rush of agility to find which institution or which teams are more prepared to actually come up with this pioneering idea of how we can contribute to tomorrow's workforce uh, development, right? So I do think that that's gonna be a crucial change for the education environment. And again, let's take this as an opportunity. Great. Charlotte, from your side, of course, Nova, uh, you've also been um, uh, yeah, obliged to, to, to adapt really fast. And, and with so many students, professors and programs, I can only imagine how, how tough that must have been. Um, but just in like, like in any organization, you know, it's leadership must react quickly, um, identify the key areas to focus on, support its people, uh, real, reallocates resources, of course. What can you tell us about all, how all of this transpired at, uh, at NOVA? I'm going to skip the bit that's very similar to, to Rose, which is we were well prepared. Um, we had a committee and task force in place and the relevant you know, respective leaders from the different areas. So all of that was, was well catered for. The technology side of things also, we, we were fine, really. Um, we have a digital transformation strategy that we had um, started some years ago. What we did was accelerate it. Um, it's obviously not a perfect nor adequate response to, to the new needs, but it's definitely a very, very good step in the right direction. Um, I think NOVA as a business school, um, I think the country and our stakeholders, both internally and externally, look to us for um, a vision of what's to come. Um, and as Alejandra said very rightly, we are training the leaders of the future, right? So it's really important that we don't catastrophize and, and, and focus on, on the pragmatic and immediate responses to the, to the crisis. And I think that's what we did. We tried to align the internal and the external stakeholders and bring everybody into to one space, which is, which is part of what I was talking to you about, um, Role to Play. We started an initiative where we brought all of our impact um, under one umbrella, which is the Role to Play initiative um, that is now becoming a movement, um, bringing in different members of our communities to address 
all sorts of issues that are happening out there, right from, you know, um, reevaluating our research offering to to and consultancy offer, looking at how our students can work with local, micro and small organisations to address their immediate needs. So we're bringing everybody together. It's a very intimate kind of space. I think the important thing here, the message that, that, that I think distinguishes our response perhaps from others is um, we had always have very clear and consistent leadership. And I think that's really important. We've had a dean that knew how to handle this from the get go and um, managed to galvanize that kind of collective spirit. So we've all been in it together. But most importantly, he listens. So we've listened to our students. We've listened to our, to our staff. We've heard their difficulties and their challenges. And we have responded to that, not in a matter of days, responded to that immediately. So there's, yes, there's the parenting issue that Rose brought up, but there's also the caring issue. We have many of our staff who are caring. They have caring responsibilities for elderly parents, for grandparents. Um, then we have a huge range of, of people living and, and thriving normally well with mental health issues that are also, um, you know, need to be considered. And so we've had to readjust what we do as an organization. And, and I think Rose used to usually where you said it, it's about looking at what's possible within the current environment and trying to, to find the best for each individual and not having unrealistic expectations. I think somebody summed it up really well when they said it's not working from home. It's you're at home working during a crisis. And I think having that in mind and being compassionate to that has, has been at the sort of the, the heart of everything we've been doing. Thanks, Charlotte. Rose, speaking of um, this environment, right, this new virtual environment that we've all gotten used to, uh, to some uh, shape or form over the past uh, almost two months now, what, um, what has surprised you the most and, and what kind of opportunities have you identified specifically perhaps for, for your department as well? Um, I think the biggest surprise, it shouldn't be a surprise, but I think I was just in awe really of the resilience, the response from staff. Um, and probably I'm sure many people will have the same view. I mean, people staggered me. They were so, they've been so resilient, so resourceful, so quick to adapt. You know, we've had people like, you know, a 70 year old who's never kind of used Microsoft Teams who, you know, on day one said, I've done Teams. And, um, and, and I say people have just been so willing and not only to help each other you know, in the football club, but also to reach out to the community. Um, and we had this wonderful um, initiative where we decided we wanted to call very early on in the lockdown, um, all of our over 70s fans. We've got quite a large fan base over 70s and several thousand um, calls were made. And we, we've asked for volunteers from across the football club because our uh, ticketing and supporter services team is quite small. And 80 staff um, stepped forward. And so we had like physios on the phone. Paul Barber made phone calls. Tony Bloom, our owner, made phone calls. Um, our technical director, um, a couple of players got involved. And, and you know people who worked in the shop, everyone just jumped on these calls um, and it was absolutely wonderful. And there, there were some really funny stories as well. There was you know, one guy who was 88 or something and Paul Barber had to ring him about five times and he was out every time Paul phoned. Um, you know, and Paul's like, you're meant to be looking after yourself. But, um, but it was, yeah, everyone was just so willing. Um, and we also had another initiative with which our charity um, worked with a local restaurant to deliver food. Um, so the food was taken to our training ground. Again, probably, you know, I think about 30 volunteers from the charity um, stepped forward and they went out in the boiling 
heat with all their call boxes and um, all their health and safety guidelines on the food. And they delivered all this food into the most, most vulnerable parts of our community locally. Um, and again, people were just so willing to, to help. So I think that's been really, um, really kind of, kind of quite staggering, really. And, and people, they want to do what's right. They want to do what's right for the football club. They want to work. Um, they're apologising if they can't work, if they're trying to, you know, look after a toddler. Um, so it, it's, yeah, it's been quite amazing, really. Um, and in terms of the, the opportunities, I think, you know, like other people have said earlier, there are lots of opportunities. I think the first one is the way we work. And I think as, as people people and HR people, we, you know, we, we all sit there sometimes getting a bit frustrated, don't we? Because we sort of think, oh God, you know, we could do this and we could digitalize and we could have more flexible working. And I think what COVID's done is it's just accelerated and propelled all those ideas and it's made them real already, um, which is really fantastic. So I think the way we work will definitely change. Um, I think there'll be far more flexibility. Um, and I think what I really like the most is we, we have no choice now. We are basically saying to people, it's the outcome. So this is the outcome that we need. We need 3,000 phone calls to be made to the elderly in the next few weeks. How you do it and who does it, it that's far more up for creativity and flexibility. And that to me is like really refreshing. Because um, I think what that then brings is people can bring their own flair to the role and they can also start working to their strengths without this kind of, I think, you know, we've all got a little bit of um, micromanaging in us, if we're really honest. And I think, you know, it's easy to say to people, isn't it, this is what I want doing and this is how I think you should do it and kind of steer people. But now it's just so refreshing because we're just allowing them to do it their own way and just focusing on that outcome. So that's really exciting for me. Um, I think commercially, there are some exciting challenges. I mean, we're facing um, the prospect of playing behind closed doors for, you know, if the season plays out, which we hope it does, it will be behind closed doors. It's quite feasible that part of next season will be behind closed doors. And that brings with it some commercial challenges, but also some opportunities. So some of the um, early ideas the commercial team have been looking at, for example, is looking at the, the stadium as a blank canvas. You've got 30,000 empty seats. How do we um, monetize that and make that a much more exciting proposition than just this kind of empty stadium? Um, there's also some really nice and again some really creative ideas about creating this kind of virtual hospitality so we've got a thousand regular hospitality um, customers who come and enjoy games um, they've got their favorite seat they've got the favorite pie the favorite pints so how about if we could deliver that to their home um, deliver their favorite pint deliver their favorite bottle of wine and a pie and a Brighton Hove Albion scarf um, and not necessarily looking to um, you know, make huge amounts of profit from that, but just as a way to engage and excite and keep that hospitality experience alive, but in a completely different way. Um, so that's um, that's been a really exciting, a few sort of exciting opportunities coming out there. So yeah, I'd be disappointed if we don't maximise all the opportunities that come out of COVID, because I think there are, there are lots. Absolutely. Alejandra, digital engagements, um, whether that be with prospective students or, or, um, or employees, already was very important and, and, and was quite effective, right? Um, but it will undoubtedly increase even more, right? In, in this uh, new uh, age of COVID-19 and, and afterwards. What, what are some of the thought leaders and, and maybe platforms such as, I don't know, LinkedIn saying about all this? Yes, people are actually expecting us to, to take this time to, to upskill, as you, as you mentioned. And no wonder that TED conferences 
is the profile that is the most followed on LinkedIn, actually. Um, something very interesting as well, I, I think it's going to be how the, the, um, the interviews are going to be like afterwards. Because if, if we go to, to some um, little statistics on, on, on LinkedIn, which actually, thank God it exists, because it's a, it's a platform that is actually bringing uh, a lot of the, the um, ecosystem together in this uh, new digital world, they, they are providing us with a lot of business intelligence as well. And I do think that now we really need to stick to what's happening on the platform to actually uh, improve our understanding of future trends. And if we see, for example, that some of the, the most used terms right now in, uh, in LinkedIn are things like crisis management, uh, online, online collaboration, remote working, then those would be some of the skills that future employees uh, would be actually employers sorry would be would be waiting for their employees to have right and if you cannot right now say into a, in, in an interview what did you do during these two months to actually upskill in those terms then it's going to be a little tricky let's say uh, within the the recruitment process right so that's, that's something that needs to be um, taken into account. But I also think that, again, going back to, to opportunities, this is really an opportunity to be more present right now on social media. Um, if you think about the main element that is happening right now in the digital ecosystem, it's content. Everyone is craving for content. Everyone wants to be present some way. And even if there's not much actually happening right now in terms of revenue, as, uh, as um, Rose was mentioning, I do think that right now it's the moment for everyone actually to be there, be visible. And even if you cannot write an article, for example, that's absolutely fine. But there, there comes a point where um, we are, we're looking for that human sense and whenever we get a comment from someone or someone gives me a little heart instead of, instead of a like or gives me a, a light bulb on LinkedIn, the, the relationship is different. And this is where actually the online interactions are, are taking us. So I do think that we'll come stronger afterwards, but this is a, a transition that all of us need to be aware of. And it's also enabling us to actually reach um, to people that we weren't supposed to or we weren't uh, allowed to reach before because right now a lot of CEOs, for example, and decision-making people are themselves communicating on LinkedIn. And if you are interested in entering this job market, now you can just send this person a LinkedIn message or say, hey, that article is really great. And even if it's little tiny details, at least you're making yourself visible throughout this uh, period where we are all confined, right? So I do think that those are part of the, the expectations of tomorrow's employment. Great. Charlotte, um, yeah, in spite of all the positivism and, and optimism uh, that we see here on, on this panel today, there are a lot of people that are negative or pessimistic, um, you know, in, in times of crisis. Um, but yeah, those people might forget that actually it is exactly in these times that innovation uh, oftentimes takes place, right? So what, what can you tell, what can you recommend individuals, companies, schools to do? How can they embrace this mindset and, and how can they actually be game changers? 
Okay, well, firstly, I think that innovation, let's let's remind ourselves what innovation is. It, it's the creation of new, right? And and as Rose said, this is the new normal. So in fact, we're all innovating right now, as far as I'm concerned. We're all responding to a new, uh, a new reality. We are adapting our working methods, um, the way we run our families, our homes, um, all of that. So I think the first point of, of departure is, is to say we are all innovators right now. So it's a good thing. The second thing is that I think that problems are the breeding ground for innovation. And I think a crisis is, is a wonderful space uh, for, for people to reassess what they're doing, their working methods, um, the structure in their organizations, um, and to take, I, I guess, to move at a quicker pace and to um, take risks that perhaps they weren't necessarily prepared to take before, because we have a, a really quick turnaround now. So you have an opportunity to trial something, doesn't work out, go back, refine it, and, and keep that constant flow of sort of continued development going on. I think if I were to say anything to, to organizations, to schools, um, I think it's about making, breaking down barriers so that the individual the person on the street, the, 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 the person living at home who perhaps is isolated right now, who wants to make a contribution, who wants to be part of that innovative response, that, that, that creativity, that collective creativity, has the conduit through which to do that. I think that sometimes what happens in, in, in corporates um, and big organizations is that the, the in sort of entrepreneurship, the creativity is happening on the inside. And in fact, the, there is this nice little kind of sort of um, wall around the outside that's preventing, perhaps preventing the, the corporates from being as close to, to the public and to, to the people that they're trying to reach um, as they could be. And I think now, because we've moved almost everything digital, now is a really cool time to bring people closer together and to say, actually, you know what, we've got space to bring in more focus groups. We've got space to create online polls and, and platforms. We, you know, we'll break down those, even if they're, they're myths or, or perceived barriers, just break them down and bring everybody that much closer together. Because I think this, we're united by purpose right now. And I think now is the time to take all of the energy that's coming from, from everybody, because you can feel it. Even, even the guy in the street that's really annoyed because he has to stay home, he's passionate. And if you have a way to channel that passion, I think only great, wonderful things can come from this. But again, I, I would my word of caution would be, not everybody feels equipped to innovate they don't understand necessarily how you go about doing that and they they don't feel that they have the ability to make that contribution so we as educators owe it to the wider sphere to say everybody counts everybody's contribution is important and everybody has an opportunity to contribute to this debate and to have an impact be it on an individual level or as a collective so i, I think it, it it's about that it's about creating a space breaking down barriers and and allowing people to make their own contribution in whatever shape or form that that, that might come in. Thanks, Charlotte. Bruce, um, this actually brings us to, to an interesting question um, regarding the employee life cycle, right? Because at the end of the day, what Charlotte just said kind of like touches on, on exactly that, right? So 
Um, and for those that not, don't know, employee lifecycle being recruitment, onboarding, transitioning, and, and uh, retaining, right? How do you foresee that life cycle to change over the next, let's say, six to 12 months? Um, and what kind of trends maybe do you foresee uh, at Brighton or uh, at football clubs in general um, in that line? Um, I think I'd like to think <laughs> that staff retention will be really high over the coming year. And I think obviously there'll be the obvious reasons for that. I think the jobs market might not be a good time to move on if people were previously thinking about moving on. But more so, I would like to think that the goodwill that's been shown to people by the club um, in recent weeks and months, I think people have really got a renewed, they've kind of fallen in love with the club again. And again, that doesn't go, for, I'm sure, for every single person. But there's definitely a feeling of, you know, people are feeling very grateful to be part of Brighton um, and really grateful for everything that's that's happened to them, you know, around the, the COVID crisis and the way it's been managed by, um, by the whole club, which has been really fantastic. Um, so I think there'll be a lot of loyalty. Um, I think also sitting alongside that, there'll be people who, well, I know there are people who are sitting at home who have really re-evaluated a lot of things in their life. So they might have re-evaluated that maybe their job brings quite long, particularly on the football side. You know, we all know football is not a massively family-friendly industry. You know, it's busiest times of summer holidays. Of, that's the beginning of the season. So there's no summer holidays for a lot of people. Um, Christmas, you know, the games come thick and fast. So if you're sort of person who likes to clock off for two weeks at Christmas and break up, that doesn't happen in football. So there's lots of reasons why football um, can rub up against family life and make and be quite difficult in many areas. Um, and I think there are some people maybe who are, who are evaluating how they can maybe not necessarily leave football, I'm not saying that, but maybe just make some adjustments or reconfigure work or you know basically look at their role in a slightly different way and try and somehow redress that balance because people are really sort of valuing in in many cases spending that little bit more time with the kids and um and as a unit so i think that that will cause people to maybe rethink their jobs not necessarily to move on although some probably might be thinking that but but how they might, might readdress the, the balance in in their current role um, I think due to the squeeze on budgets, obviously, you know, 80% of our revenues come from broadcasting. Um, so if games resume, um, you know, we would hope that the broadcasting revenues follow if it's behind closed doors. But the other 20%, you know, it comes from things like commercial um, match day um, revenue from ticket sales and retail and hospitality, etc. So if we are playing behind closed doors for part of next season, that will impact our budgets quite heavily. Um, so that will also have a knock on impact, you know, uh, impact on all of our individual budgets. And that will have a knock on impact on recruitment. So um, I'd imagine recruitment will be quite static um, next, next season. Um, and I think people will maybe there'll be a bit more sort of upskilling internally and maybe looking internally for talent. So if there's a massive need, say, I don't know, one of our departments, our business departments has a vacancy, it would be far more likely now, I would say, in the immediate future to maybe look within the business and see what we can do to nurture that talent with locally and within and maybe grow someone into that role. Um, whereas before we may have been quicker to look outside um, for that talent. So does that kind of that answer your question? Absolutely, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I was going to ask Alejandra next. It's this thing that people are talking about of entrepreneurship versus intrapreneurship, right? So, what do, from your expertise um, and, and, and anecdotes, um, what have current and future employees been looking at and, and 
what do they need to know about this? Why is it so relevant? Yeah, well, uh, I guess there has been a, a big, big, big focus in the entrepreneurship world, but there's still little know-how in terms of intrapreneurship. And I personally think it's absolutely crucial. So in intrapreneurship is when you act within a business unit as if it was your own company, right? So when it's your own company, you actually have a, a sense or, or a very high sense of responsibility. You know that you need, for sure, this needs to work or otherwise it might actually compromise your, your personal life, right? So I do think that if we, we manage to think that, yes, it's great to have in mind the entrepreneurship idea, but what if we start perhaps a little smaller and by by saying that i mean what if we start as as intrapreneurs as a path to become entrepreneurs so what if we try first to get into a company understand the intricacies of every industry of every post and actually make that part of my knowledge to then better perform as an entrepreneur and i i do think as well there's something very important in this is it's a network if if you want to become an entrepreneur you will need that network that network is going to be crucial for you so if you start by being an intrapreneur you can perfectly attend some um, industry conferences for example on behalf of your employer and start slowly building that network and that knowledge that would then serve you as an entrepreneur so that, that's where I, I, I see the, the, the parallel. I don't think we should go one way or the other, but actually use it as a transition. And going back to the, to the education side of this, I do think as well that some universities should use this moment to, to switch perhaps a bit their, their way of thinking. Because when, let's say you have a business school and you sit everyone in one specific class, everyone is expected to perform in the same way, in the same subject within the same uh, classroom, right? What if we can just think ahead and separate the class in terms of the area of expertise that each student wants to excel in? So for example, let's have here on this side all the, the, the marketers here, the financial people, uh, the, the HR people here, and actually make them from university work as they were in, in different business units and encourage collaboration. I do think that if we do that, we'll be switching a bit the current learning system and actually preparing better the future leaders. Very, very insightful uh, comments. Thank you, Alejandra. Charlotte, um, well, we haven't actually told our viewers yet, but you yourself have actually worked in the football industry um, in the early 2000s. Having been an outsider now for about 15 years um, and taking that combined experience, right, of your time at Havas and, and UEFA, uh, but also mm -hmm. your expertise yeah. for the past 15 years in education, what kind of needs and opportunities do you see for, for football stakeholders? Oui. Uh, it, it, well, when you asked me this question, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I've, I've been away for a while, but I, I have a very uh, extensive family in this area. So... I think it has to to do with grassroots. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up some topics that you might have covered in your previous um, session um, last week. I think that there is huge importance for all stakeholders in football in investing and developing grassroots opportunities for girls. 
Um, I think that, that football is a, a massive opportunity to tackle gender inequality um, and, and more broadly, not just in the game itself, but also in society. I think we're missing a trick if we don't harness the power of football and use it for good. Uh, football is, is just, in my experience, has been the sole unifying it, it just has the capacity and the, the 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 dynamism to bring people together in a way that I have never ever experienced again outside of a concert hall actually with an orchestra so it's an extremely powerful um, tool that we can use I think that we're on an educational le level we're not sharing globally um, our knowledge and initiatives. I think that the different stakeholders in the community of football, in the, in the family of football, uh, are not necessarily as open, transparent, collaborative, as I, as again, I, I mentioned earlier, I think is part of, of this, the way our society is moving. Um, and I think we're missing a trick there. Um, but essentially for me, it would be really important to see more progress in women's football. Um, and the professionalization of, of women's football and using all of these very, very powerful players, you know, uh, in inverted commas, using their position to educate more girls, more boys, society in general, about issues that are, are fundamental to the well-being of, of humankind. I, I think that's that's the role for me of football, and it can do it. I know it can do it. I've seen grassroots programs just transform lives. Um, you know, music, football, there's not many things can do this, can unite these people. And I think if you work in, um, you know, for an organization that has that level of, of, of sort of human resources and you can mobilize those people, my goodness, just ugh, opportunities are endless, right? endless yeah talking of opportunities for all of those who might be you know scared about the the competitiveness of this industry well there you go you have an opportunity to develop women's football to develop grassroots and uh and make and work your way into the in the football industry basically right i think i should also add that i i was when i was in london i was very involved with an organization called um girls united fa and and they are just yeah, I'm going to give a little bit of a plug there. Just a phenomenal project. And it's projects like that that need support. Great. Thanks for mentioning them. Rose, you, you did mention uh, Tony Bloom, the, the owner of Brighton, and, and Paul Barber, your, your CEO, uh, before. Um, and yeah, for those that know a thing or two about Brighton, uh, they'll know that Brighton's leadership has been remar remarkable over the past years. Um, and of course, also during this crisis with some of the actions that you've undertook. Um, but how has this impacted things such as company culture, diversity, well-being, productivity? How important is it for these things to be implemented from the top down? Um, I think never more so than at the moment. Um, we are incredibly lucky at Brighton. I mean, I could kind of wax lyrical really about the Brighton story, but we don't have time today. But obviously we have Tony Bloom as our owner and chairman. Um, he's a Brighton boy, so he's got a close association to the football club from when he was a boy, um, which is quite unusual in club ownership in the Premier League these days. Um, and then we've got Paul Barber, who's our chief executive and deputy chairman. Um, and the whole club's really looking up to those two um, to lead us through this crisis alongside, um, obviously, the senior leadership team. And 
we all feel incredibly lucky. I mean, I always kind of say that, you know, if you if you stick me out at sea and, and give me the, the steering wheel of a, of a fairly sized boat, you can probably, anyone could probably have a good stab at steering it on calm water, but stick a 10-4 scale into the equation and you really do need someone who knows what they're doing um, at the helm. And I think crisis management sets the true leaders apart. Um, and I think, you know, Paul has just emerged as this, incredible leader not just for you know we you know we always knew he was incredibly capable and incredibly talented but over the last few weeks and months he's not only sort of you know put forward the best possible case for for Brighton to get the best outcome but he's also you know pushing forward ideas for the whole of football um and you know he's really trying to do the best for the professional game and he's working incredibly hard um, and I think, you know, what's great about the leadership we have in Tony and Paul, they lead by example. Um, they're very clear and honest and open and transparent. Um, they've been doing, you might have seen, they've been doing um, press conferences every Thursday and they've just been like peppered with questions um, every week. They've just put themselves up there. Some weeks it's Graham, the first team manager. Some weeks it's the chairman. Some weeks it's the technical director, Dan Ashware. And no matter what question is thrown at them, they, they'll answer it to the best of their ability. They'll be honest. Um, and I think people have really, really valued that because everyone is kind of, you know, looking for clarity and looking for honesty. Um, and it's really, really built, um, built trust um, at the football club. And I think, you know, we've got a very strong set of values. We've got our team Brighton values. Um, and the first value is treat people well. And I think that comes all the way down from Tony Bloom, all the way down through the football club. You feel it through the club. Um, and, you know, Tony himself is very calm, like Paul, very measured um, and, you know, cares deeply for people. Um, and we've seen lots of sort of symbols around, you know, around mental well-being. For example, we set up a webinar um, series um, called Being Human. Um, and basically it's every week and it's our um, welfare um, and player services manager, um, Sue, she runs those webinars and basically just talks about being human in this crisis and what does that mean and, and basically allows people to, to feel what they feel and have reassurance that it's okay to feel anxious. It's okay to feel guilty because you're enjoying lockdown. It's okay to, you know, decide you don't like your partner anymore or whatever it is, everything's okay. But on the very first webinar, the first person to log in and be on that webinar was Paul Barber. So, you know, and people could see that, you know, Paul was on there. So that means that it was important um, and that reinforced that he really cares for people. So, yeah, so I think, you know, overall the feedback I've had is staff feel, they feel reassured. They feel confident that it's, you know, it's Paul and Tony who are steering us through this. Um, and they all feel an immense sense of pride, um, you know, because Brighton is emerging as, you know, we're doing a lot of things well in the crisis and I think you know yeah there's a massive feeling of pride for working at the football club at the moment. Thanks for sharing that Rose. Alejandra for your next question I'm gonna ask you to take off your FBA hat and put on your higher education expert hat on. Um, I know it's it's gonna be difficult to to eliminate any type of bias but talking about the FBA master what do you think as a higher education expert what do you think makes it so suitable for the realities of workforces, um, in particular in this modern day and age um, and our industry in particular? Okay, uh, great question, <laughs> tricky one to answer. Um, I've personally been a, um, an innovation education advocate uh, throughout my, my whole um, professional life. And 
I do think that the FBA has a lot of it uh, and actually perhaps goes beyond some bold ideas with, with from how the concept started until today. So going back to what I was mentioning before, the intrapreneurship and, and entrepreneurship part, I think that, that that's a, a great match. And actually the FBA started that way. It was created by intrapreneurs and you being one, Chris, uh, in the football industry and actually taking it to an entrepreneurship project. So you first gathered your contacts, you first gathered your expertise in the industry, you listened to the industry, and now you said, well, three years ago, you said, okay, now we need to do something to change the current uh, education system related to football, right? And that's how the FBA emerged. So starting from, from the creation itself, I do think that that's quite innovative. Then I would add another thing that for me is, is uh, very interesting as well, um, when the FBA started, you were already taking into account, and I cannot take any, any uh, credit for that because I was not there, but you were already doing your classes on Zoom, something that a lot of, of uh, universities are right now struggling to actually transition to. So you were already three years ago or even five years ago with, where, when the, the creative process was being done, you were already integrating these digital tools for 21st century expectations within the core of the FBA. So of course, when we are taken now to a moment where, of course, it's a challenge for, for us and, and for many, but we were already very much prepared, right? So I do think that that's, uh, in terms of, of, of the FBA, it's a, a great, um, a great uh, advantage, let's say. On another note, the the um, the central element, I, I think, as well, is the the bridge. So again, I was saying before, the education system is meant to actually train the future leaders of tomorrow for um, the the um, working environment, right? Now. I do believe that within the FBA, a bridge was actually um, built since the beginning in the sense that a lot of, of actual employers are not necessarily always satisfied by uh, the skills or the outcome that some uh, students get when they get out of university. Now, you went the other way around. So you went to actually ask the market, what is it that you need so we can actually create a program to have this, the specific candidates with the specific skills to actually feed the uh, job market. And I think that's very clever. And you thought of an initial curriculum, but at the same time, you are uh, planning ahead of going through those changes as the potential employers ask you for some adjustments. And that's great. I think uh, uh, from having some conversations with Rose and with some other clubs, I do think that a lot of clubs value that a lot because you're able already to get a sense of what, is, what it is that they need so you can actually better prepare those students and, of course, increase their um, opportunities to enter that, uh, that uh, market. So in my opinion, and again, I'm trying to be as, <laughs> as a, a neutral as possible. I do think that, that having created such a hybrid program, if I, if I can call it that way, so integrating the online internship, 
plus on-campus um, modules, that's certainly one of the best ways to actually uh, prepare those students for what awaits them uh, once they, they graduate. Thank, thanks, Ale. And, and in, in talking about preparation, Charlotte, you, you work with a lot of people on, on things such as confidence, positive psychology, resilience. Can you tell us a bit more about what, what impact this can have on, on people and how they, they choose their career pathways? Um, yeah, I tried to um, spin that question a little bit. I um, Full disclosure, I only work with women. <laughs> Um, but I think the what I do with, with women um, applies to, to men too. Um, I think aside from um, a personal branding and continued development um, perspective, because I think we've covered that, um, I'm going to come at it from a humanist perspective. So I think you, the question here is what type of leader, you need to ask yourself what type of leader do you need to be in order to sustain and to grow yourself and your team for the next X number of years. And I think there are some commonalities amongst the women that I'm working with in leadership roles that um, I thought I would just highlight really quickly a few of the things that, um, that I would suggest people need to, to work on, not only to address things like the World Economic Forum's um, predictions for attributes and skill sets that are required in the next 20, 50 years, but also because it's just good um, to do as a human being. Um, Self-awareness is a huge one. I think people need to, to spend time learning about themselves because you bring your whole self to the workplace. Um, and I think it, it does you no favors if you don't recognize, like Rafa was saying, things like your own biases and, and issues that you're gonna bring into that space. Um, nobody's perfect. So I think self-awareness is a big one. Authenticity and personal congruence, I think it's, absolutely fundamental nowadays um, that that people consider what they what their purpose and what their life values are in order to make sure that their career choices are somehow aligned to that why because there's enough research out there to tell you that if you're doing something that you personally don't feel aligns with who you are on a values level then somewhere down that line there's going to be a problem Either you'll hit a wall or you'll decide it's not just giving you it's not giving you satisfaction um, or you'll find yourself demotivated. And I think that's a that's a big problem. And we're noticing that a lot of our students. No, I'm going to say almost all of them actually are looking for meaning and purpose over bucks. Um, and, uh, and I think that's that's great. I just think that's a wonderful thing. Um, vulnerability is another thing. So there's a lot about bounce back ability and being able to fail and to, to fail well. Um, I don't have um, an issue with trying. I think that we need to create spaces where people are really comfortable with not getting it right the first time. It's absolutely fine. But the essential thing is that we've created a space where people feel they can try and they can try again and they can try all sorts of stuff. Um, so learning to be vulnerable is really, really important. And, and being able to say, um, as I say to my team, being able to say, you know, I'm, I, I'm sorry, or I, I got it wrong. Um, and these are lessons I, I, I hate to say, I think politicians should learn. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I got it wrong and, and, and please tell me, help me, and let's together, let, let's, let's improve on this. I think mentoring is another area. I think that, that for your career, I would suggest that, that people start trying to find mentors really early on. And, and you can do that really 
now with the power of things like LinkedIn, you can do that really easily. Um, you can find people that you find particularly inspirational um, or perhaps um, you just would love the opportunity to quiz them for 10 minutes. Um, not everyone is available, but I tell you a lot of people are. And I think reaching out now is so important. And, and especially on LinkedIn, you can actually identify people who are willing to do it. Um, and that, that's already a step in the right direction. But ask, I would say, just, just you know, reach out, be bolder. Um, and finally, there's the, the thing that I would say about um, the positive psychology approach is that we, we look at your strengths and your, um, where you, you're bringing your whole self to the workplace and, and, and your strengths are what you have um, to leverage. So understanding where your weaknesses lie, understanding where you have space to grow is really, really important, but also making sure that you can maximize your strengths. So that whole self-awareness, discovering who you are, what your strengths are, is, is so, so important. And finally, all I was going to say was, this is a world of slash careers. I just don't think there is a one career for each person anymore. I think we are looking at a future of multiple careers, multiple opportunities, side hustles, volunteering projects, um, you know, I just think we have to embrace the fact that it's just not one track anymore and be really, really comfortable with that. It's okay. Um, and, and so those are the, the main things that I find that, that by coaching my clients, I find that as long as we can focus on that and create that space and they can be their true, true selves and bring their, their own personal kind of version of truth to the, to the space, and live their authenticity in the workspace, I find that that creates um, much more uh, psychological alignment with, with, with their careers and subsequently success. I absolutely agree, Charlotte. Thank, thanks for sharing all those uh, great recommendations. And, and maybe on, on that same thought, I wanna ask um, all of you one final question, which hopefully as well will, uh, be, uh, will, will serve as a response to some of the questions that our viewers uh, asked over the past hour. Because um, obviously a big part of our audience consists of people that are either currently transitioning into their careers or are thinking about it. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, there's a lot of uncertainty, right, in, in, in these uh, particular times. Um, and that understandably will affect their thoughts, but also their actions, right? So just briefly, each one of you, um, what message of advice would you give for, um, for all of them? Rose? Okay, I would say be ready. So similar to the rest of the other themes of the other speakers, take the time to make sure that when the time comes, you are ready for that opportunity. Um, and the other thing, I think because we're all in this state of innovation at the moment and, and thinking differently about things, like I, for one, I'm really open to hearing offers of help or ways we can do things differently. So say, for example, somebody was out there you know, one of your FBA um, graduates, and they went to our, I don't know, our careers site on the on the um, on LinkedIn or, or on our um, website, and they could think of, you know, fifty more ways that we could really attract great talent, and, and we're missing some tricks. I really would love to hear their mm. ideas. So I think there are ways that people can offer and engage by almost kind of giving something before they get something back, if that makes sense. And mm -hmm. that could lead to, I mean, it's going to get you noticed, right? So um, so I think, yeah, it's see it as an opportunity. Don't get too despondent. Um, things will get right in the end. Thank you, Rose. Alejandra, your last two cents. 
I would say be disruptive. And I know it's it's difficult right now to, to think, but a lot of, of questions in some interviews, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And it's like, oh my God, it's really tough to answer that. But now take it even further. Where do you see the football industry in 10 years? So if you're able right now to actually disrupt in that thinking and as rose was saying there's a lot of people actually craving for creative creative ideas so if you come up with i don't know a video um an article whatever it is that where you can actually share your thoughts make yourself visible make a point what is it that you think and again i don't think there is a, a, a right or wrong answer at the moment no one actually knows what's going to happen but what if you already start thinking I don't know what, how it's gonna be the experience if you go to um, a, a stadium and you have to actually go beyond the previous expectations with only half or even less of uh, people actually being able to enter a stadium. Think about creative ideas, creative ideas, sorry, that you can actually bring to companies, to clubs, so you can, on the first hand, be visible, and on the second hand, also help them going throughout this very difficult times. Thank you, Ale. Charlotte, any advice that you haven't uh, shared so far yet that you want to <laughs> share with our audience? Yeah, really, really quickly. Um, tell me when the world was certain. Tell me when? The world was certain. It never was. It's probability and predictability based on past events. So nobody on planet Earth knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Okay, so that's just a fact. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, as long as you can answer the question, what's the worst that can happen? And you've got a plan for that worst, go for it and go for it with all your heart and passion. Very wise words. And, and with that, um, I think we're running over time. So it is time to, to conclude this very, I think, interesting session. Um, I, want, I want to thank Rose Reed from uh, Brighton, Alejandra Otero from the FDA, and Charlotte Hamilton from Nova School of Business and Economics. From my side as well, um, just one final recommendation. Do feel free to reach out um, if you have any additional questions. Um, they're there to help. Um, the only added recommendation I would do is if you do connect with them or for that matter with anyone on LinkedIn, just write a personal uh, message. It always makes a big difference. And, and I think, um, you know, speaking for myself, having a LinkedIn connection without any personalized message from someone that I have no clue why he, want, he or she wants to connect with me uh, is, can be frustrating, right? So in terms of, in, in, in light of everything that um, these people have said today, being different, being innovative, being yourself, give a short message and, uh, and I'm sure that they will appreciate it and, and will be willing to help you. So having said that, uh, thank you for everyone who tuned in. In the meantime, stay safe and thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and make sure to follow FBA on our social media channels to not miss out on the next episodes coming soon. See you next time.